So, I, yes, um, I thought I'd, I'd start today by um, reading, reading the main text, which is in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 to 16. I'll just give those that are turning to it a, a second to get there. Second, yeah, it's up on the screen for those that um, don't have a Bible here. So that says, um, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So um, while, while I was reading that, the, the first verse, oh, the first person that came to my mind was, was Saul. Um, reading through, yeah. Um, yes, verse 14 said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Um, my, my mind automatically went to, to Saul on the road to Damascus because um, uh, God describes Saul as the man that had breathed murderous threats to the Lord's disciples. Um, I'll read from Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 4 through 9. Uh, this says, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. Reading through this first, first part of Acts chapter, chapter 9, um, I thought Saul's conviction was on show there when early on when um, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul replies with, who are you, Lord? I think that, that shows Saul's conviction. He didn't you know, call, call him anything else except for Lord. He was well aware of who he was and what, what he was there to do. Um, so Saul, as I said there, Saul had been accompanied by, by three other men um, and they hadn't been able to see, see or hear anything, which, uh, so they weren't able to, to see the light, but they were able to hear what had been said, which I thought that must have been a pretty, pretty crazy experience for them for, to be able to hear something that everyone can hear but only certain people can see is a pretty crazy thing to to go through and yeah it was it, w- it would have been a, a yeah a wild experience for them to to go through with Saul I'm um, reading on through Acts 9 uh, through 16 
uh, sorry, 10 through 16. It says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Just pausing there. I put in bold the phrase, for he is praying. I thought that was a, a, cool, a cool part of that, that story, considering that Saul had been on his way to Damascus in order to ridicule and persecute and kill all of God's people. Um, to me, it seems like if, if Saul had of, he could have gone down the path of using this as an excuse to um, say worse things about God, like uh, God had blinded him and he'd made him, yeah, had to be led by, by his men. So, yeah, I, I would have expected for Saul to react very differently and to use this as more of an excuse to to target God and to uh, go against him. Um, continuing on, verse 13 says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias followed these instructions that the Lord had given him. He went to the house of Judas, and in the name of Jesus, he opened Saul's eyes again. This interaction between Ananias and God showed me that God, um, what God has called you to do and what God has planned for your life, that, that will be done. Uh, even, after all the ha- even, sorry, even after all the harm and death Saul had caused, um, Jesus' disciples to go through, God still referred to Saul as his chosen instrument. Um, and God, God's calling for Saul's life had never changed regardless of his prior actions or his mistakes. So, yeah, I thought if, if there's someone that's done the, the things that Saul had done, the, um, he'd murdered and yeah, all the bad things that Saul had done and he was still God's chosen instrument, that there's a lot of hope for, for people like us. Um, there's a quote taken from an interview with actor Mark Wahlberg. Um, it was, he was asked about his routines, and one thing in particular was he was asked about why he prays every morning at 2.30. Um, he responded by saying, that's the most important thing. I take two days off from the gym now. I don't take a day off from getting on my hands and knees. First of all, expressing the gratitude that I have for all the blessings that have been bestowed upon me and, of course, asking the strength and guidance to be able to use the talents and gifts that God's given me to help others. So this shows me that, yeah, God hears us and focusing on verse number... Uh, Second uh, Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 15. Um, this says... Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Um, Our God is a very intentional God and he's gifted us with different talents and wants us to use those talents to bring glory to his name. He asks that that we be intentional in our relationship with each other and our relationship with him. We do this 
um, we build our relationship through him, through prayer and conversation with him. One of the strongest examples of the power that prayer has comes through Moses. The story that I'm referring to is in Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 14. Um, that's probably not very easy to read, but um, so Exodus 32, chapter uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 14 says, "I have seen these people," the Lord said to Moses, "and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation." But Moses sought favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said. Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your own self. I will make, you descendants, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever." Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Now, this, I think, is one of the only times in the Bible that God didn't do what he had threatened to do. Um, as Psalms 145, Psalms 145 verse 8 says, he's slow to anger and rich in love. As people, mistakes are expected and inevitable. However, we know that when we've done enough to anger God to the point where he's threatening to wipe us out, then we definitely deserve that. And that's, we've done, if we've done enough for that, then yeah, we, we don't deserve that. Um, that relenting that he shows here in Exodus. Um, and there are examples of that all through the Bible with the biggest one being Noah's Ark where wiped everyone except for Noah and his family out, and then another being Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, this passage showed that the relationship God and Moses shared was beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And um, David even writes a psalm about this event. Um, psalms 106 verses 21 to 23 says, They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he, so he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Moses, the story of Moses, just from um, start to finish, is probably one of my favourite ones in the Bible. Um, the way that Moses rose from being a Hebrew, he was born to be a slave, um, and he ended up the prince of Egypt, and then he, he fell back again to just a shepherd, and then God rose him back to where he was meant to be and yeah, humbled him from being that prince of Egypt to being um, the saviour the, the, the savior that God had given to the Hebrews to get, take them out of Egypt and take them out of slavery. Um, it says he was a shepherd for 40 years and in those 40 years, that's just, that's just what he thought his life was meant for, was yeah, looking after sheep. But... Um, after 40 years, God finally let Moses in in his plans for his life and spoke to him through the, the burning bush. Um, Moses told God in that first encounter that he had the wrong man and that he didn't believe that he had the right talents or gifts to do what God had instructed him to do. However, God provided everything Moses needed to do what he was instructed to. 
Uh, jumping back forwards to the Hebrews being um, freed from slavery in Egypt, God had sent all the miracles they needed and kept them safe through the ten plagues. He'd sent the pillar of fire to protect them when the Egyptians came for them again. He split the Red Sea to give them a pathway and then the second that they couldn't see him anymore, um, they, they doubted and they went and worshipped other gods. Um, yeah, fr- from a human perspective, I can see why God would be so infuriated at that after saving them from everything that they'd been going through, after giving them the things that they'd prayed for and keeping them safe. They just so very quickly forgot all the things that God had done for them. Um, uh, but going back to our main text, which was Second Chronicles, verse 15, states, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to all the prayers offered in this place. Um, for me, I've gone through a lot of periods where it felt like prayers, they'd just been, I guess, ignored or not as important as others. And reading this verse, it spoke to me and told me otherwise. And it told me that God is, hears our prayers and that he's working in our lives to answer them. So my mistake during those periods was that I was expecting to hear a direct answer, like I was asking mum for something or I was expecting a yes or a no. And um, yeah, I didn't want to wait or look a bit deeper to see that God would be showing me his answer rather than saying it. And that's another reason that I love the story of Moses, because even though he had his doubts about his purpose and even when he told God that he'd had the wrong man, God provided the necessary tools for Moses to fulfill his purpose. And when God was, was furious with the Hebrews and ready to wipe them out, Moses once again saves his people. And when he asks God to relent and not go through with what, he had, what he'd said he would do, God listened. Um, another thing I really admire today is when people with a large following um, use those platforms to, to glorify God. And that's one reason I chose Mark Wahlberg as my first quote. And my second one is another actor. So his name is Chris Pratt. And um, he was accepting an award at, uh, I'm not sure where, but he was yeah, accepting an award. And in his acceptance speech, he says, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. You are imperfect and you always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you'll have grace, and grace is a gift. And like that freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. So coming into, into my last point is God loves us. And you know, the perfect examples of God love, God's love and his grace for us is when he sent his son to die for us. Jesus shows us time and time again in the Bible how important prayer is and in furthering our relationship with God. Jesus prays before doing everything, asking God to be with him. There are two specific times Jesus prayed that I'd like to focus on right now. The, the first one is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, recently, I, I decided I wanted to, to watch a movie, so I, I turned on The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson's movie. Um, I bought the movie and, I op- and it opened with the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when I bought it, I didn't know that it was completely in Hebrew. So, yeah, thank goodness for English subtitles. <laughs> um, yeah, and it shows, it opens showing Jesus' prayer in the garden. And 
as my, he knew what was to come in the, the following day, um, but he knew that that had been the plan all along and he was, um, he was willing to go through with that and he was prepared to do what he had to do, but that didn't stop him from asking God that if there is any other way that he can avoid that and not have to go through the torture that he would go through in the next day and eventually on the cross. Uh, turning to Matthew chapter 26, verses 39, this says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, if, if I had have known what was coming and all I'd done was try to, try to save as many people as I could and I knew the next day I would get beat and mocked and tortured for that, I would take off and I would go somewhere else as soon as I could. But um, yeah, I'd be saying that I did the best that I could, but some people need to want to save, save themselves and there's only so much I could do. But that last sentence of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane shows how committed Jesus was and still is to, to us. Bearing the weight of our sin was no easy task. And that's why I love to see these people with large platforms um, and followings, reminding everyone how we are saved and that the grace that we, that we have was paid for with an innocent man's blood. Um, going back to watching that movie, it showed in detail the beating that Jesus took that day. And it obviously was not completely historically accurate, but even a fraction of the beating that he took would be enough for anyone else to renounce us and to leave us to fend for ourselves. And that's what we deserved um, then and even now, we still make the mistakes that they made throughout those Bible times. If it wasn't for that innocent bloodshed that day, we would still deserve to be left on our own. But the purpose of that was to cleanse us and make us new so that we don't have to be alone or fend for ourselves anymore. The second prayer that Jesus prays that I'd like to highlight today is one that I've known about for a long time, but it still surprises me each time. And that's the prayer he prayed while hanging on the cross. This is found in Luke 23, verse 34. This says, yeah. um, This says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Wait, sorry, that was the wrong one. Sorry, uh, Luke 23, verses 34 says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It blows my mind that after a day of yeah, torture and getting mocked and beaten within inches of his life, that he would still say a prayer of forgiveness over us and that as he hung on the cross and he was taking his dying breaths, he was still loving us and still longing for our hearts and a relationship with us. The love that we have has been shown um, since way back in Genesis and that's something that we never had to do anything to earn. Jesus paved, Jesus paved the way for us to live with him for eternity and all we have to do is live for him for our short time here and fulfill our purpose, which is to share the message. Um, I'd just like to close on this verse that I read just before. Um, that says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Um, a lot of the time, taking up your cross and denying yourself can be a very scary or intimidating thing to, go th to, to choose to do. But as, as it's shown throughout the Bible, um, through Paul, through Moses, and through Jesus especially, 
God has given us the tools we need in order to fulfill his calling in our lives, and he's provided us all we need to share the word. The only way to meet that calling is through prayer and relationship with him. Closing on one final quote um, that I found just the other day that I really, that I really loved, and it's, it spoke to me, was God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So going through this week, um, it's like to challenge everyone to take some intentional time out of their day and um, say a prayer and dive into their Bible, even if that's only for 10 minutes. Um, I hope this message has, has reached out to everyone. And before we go, I'd just like to say a quick prayer for everyone in the week to come. Dear God, I thank you for everybody here. Um, I pray that you bless them as we go through, go through this coming week and bless their household. Um, please be with everyone that's, that's going through things. And I pray for anyone that couldn't be here that you be with them as well. Amen.